Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to a very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I am very excited about uh, my guest today. I think it's going to be a different type of Soul Talk episode. Uh, As you know, I love to bring on folks from different walks of life, different industries, different disciplines to provide different perspectives of in terms of what it is to live an authentic life, to live a life in alignment with who we truly are. My guest today is a, is a very interesting character. I heard about him from a friend of mine a few years ago who was going to Egypt. And he said, uh, I'm going to Egypt with this guy who such a unique guy and he's downloading some, uh, some real higher level wisdom. And then when I checked him out, found that he was, uh, is a successful entrepreneur, but also a prolific inventor the founder of several corporate enterprises, uh, the author, the best-selling author of Philomath. And, uh, you know, I'm going to leave it there because I want to hear from him a bit about his life and journey. And I think you're going to want to take notes for this one. Uh, Welcome to Soul Talk, Robert Edward Grant. Welcome. Thank you so much. Good to be here with you. Thanks for coming on, man. Listen, as I dive into your background, um, it's so unique, you know, you, this business guy, corporate CEO, inventor, um, yet you're taking people to Egypt. You're kind of downloading knowledge, kind of knowledge that has been anciently available to us, it feels like. And so for me, it feels like you're this, I don't know what the word is, unification of just the, the, the the, the ancient and the modern simultaneously. And so I really want to find out what inspired your journey into spirituality, into you know, mathematics, geometry. Um, was it something that was inspired as a child? Like, how did this, how did this happen? How did this It's kind uh, of funny. Um, for me, I think it really started in 2014. Um, I would say I was always good at math and always good at geometry and always fascinated by physics. But as far as like the, you know, you referenced sort of download type situation that started in 2014. And I was at Harvard business school, which, which were one of the places I went to school and I was hosting a group of doctors in a program called the executive management program for physicians. And, um, and I was there while I was there, I also was founding a new company And this company was an investment bank. And so I had to have a FINRA license. And so I had to have someone come to the office uh, at Harvard and and do a notary for me to make the submission because we had to meet some deadline for this FINRA application. And the guy that came um, tells me that he's, uh, you know, this is just his day job to meet the people he's supposed to meet. And so I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. I don't know what to think of that. And then he tells me that my my business partner, an Indian fellow, Indian fellow that I've been working with for, you know, at that point around 10, 12 years, um, he says, well, you know, in his past life, he he uh, he used to clean elephant cages. <laughs> and so I was like thinking, wow, that's just classic material for me <laughs> to like make fun of my partner forever. And and then I was transported mentally to his apartment in New York City. And I remembered that all over his walls are pictures of elephants. Wow. And I remembered asking him, I said, why do you like elephants so much? And other than the fact that he's Indian, he worships Ganesh, which is like that elephant God, right? He said, elephants are the most gentle animals, just like that to me. And I was like, wow, he goes, I love elephants. So Mm. when this guy tells me that in his past life, you know, his job was to clean the elephant cages, I just like could not stop laughing, right? It was, it was kind of hilarious. And so then he looks at me and he says, don't worry, I have something for you as well. Mm. 
And he pulls out all these photographs from 1930 and 1940 timeframe. And, um, and one of them was a picture that I recognized, but I had not seen before. Uh, I don't know why I recognized it. And I have a very photographic type memory. And, and I said, I don't know why, but I recognize this photograph. It was a picture of Franklin Delano Roosevelt giving a stump speech in 1942 in Boston. And the speech was for a mayoral candidate. And he hands me the photograph. He says, the reason why you recognize this is because you were there. Wow. He hands it to me. And I'm like, what? Okay. I didn't even think twice about it. I was like, okay. And so he hands me the photograph. I take it back and I take it back to my seat in my classroom at Harvard Business School. And there's a lecture going on. I open my notebook and instead of listening to the lecture, I start like writing page after page after page of like advanced math and physics equations. Wow. Stuff that I had, you know, should not have known. And, and it was the most bizarre thing. It was just like something, a faucet turned on. Now you should know, I do know a bit about at that time as well. I knew a lot about physics. I knew a lot about mathematics, but this was all like entirely new stuff. And so I ended up, um, you know, writing all this stuff down and then it's turned into tens of thousands of pages like that. Mm. Um, and I filed many patents. I have about 60 patents on inventions that came out of that period now. Mm. Um, and in the process, you know, I was looking for prior art to see if anyone else had come up with some of these similar concepts. And this was largely across the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, inventions related to light and sound technologies, uh, healthcare, um, you know, even up to and including new calculators, which yes. include different numbers, like a base 12 numbering system. And, and so I started just filing tons and tons of patents on this stuff. And, and it was, it was very strange because from that point forward, and I didn't even connect the dots of like why I had this, like, I guess for lack of a better word, like this, the illumination of information I didn't even connect it to the photograph until probably about a year and a half later, mm. because I thought I just went back to my desk and I started writing down. I had these ideas and started filing patents on it. Wow. And, and then I realized about a year and a half later, you know, what it was connected to. And it was fascinating because, um, you know, the way I found out was I had started to file patents in particular on periodic wave of elements and an approach I'd had on the periodic wave of elements. And, and one of my uh, research assistants came to me and he said, oh, I found the only prior art in this area is this guy named Walter Russell. Mm. And Walter Russell was the partner of Nikola Tesla. And they both worked in an office in New York City, which happened to be <laughs> my office in New York that I'd already had for like four years at that point. Wow. And I was adamant when I got the office four years before that it had to be authentic to 1930. That was the crazy thing about it too. Everything, the furniture and everything, it was a beautiful office right off of uh, on Lexington. And it's the old uh, GE building. It was a beautiful, beautiful office. Mm -hmm. And looked down on top of uh, St. Bart's Chapel, which looks over Park Avenue. I mean, it mm -hmm. had a big terrace and everything. And, and then when I realized that that was their office, I was like, wait, what? And then I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper, and I started finding a lot more. So mm -hmm. if you don't know who Walter Russell was, um, you know, he was a polymath in the 20th century and an amazing, amazing person who had illuminations and downloads as well uh, in, you know, the early 20th century around, I think his first one was in 1921. Mm. Mm. Wow. He actually wrote papers refuting a lot of the work of Einstein. But can you tell me a bit more about some of these, the, the downloads that came through? Talk about things for inventions. Like what, what were some of the concepts that started to You know, it's interesting. Like um, I started, and so I published these books now too, just of my notebooks. People started seeing the stuff and oh. they're like, wait, I want to, because it came out very artistic. Wow. And, wow. and like everything was scientific, but it, these were just my personal notes, but it came out very scientific and artistic at the same time. Wow. So it was like a combination of the two. So like, 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 like the folks, uh, for those of you that are listening on audio, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of Robert's notebooks. The, what you just showed me, like 
what does mm-hmm. that mean? Like, is there a meaning to, to that? It, it looks sure. very artistic, looks very yeah. cool, looks very sort of. Basically what it's showing here is this is uh, the flower of life, mm. but the flower of life can be broken down into numbers, numerical representations. There's numbers for each of the circles going around this. And, and then also you could see that there's like the numbers related to the rows, the number of perimeter uh, you know, attributions and characteristics. And then this became the basis of one of the, um, what I would call the um, periodic wave of elements. Hmm. So this is a periodic wave of elements. You can see here, there's elements on each one of those circles, right? And the form of a torus is basically what it's making. And it's explaining how the geometric relationship works for all of it. Mm. So these would be the elements of the periodic table, right? Mm. So starting with hydrogen, but then actually you find that there's actually several elements before hydrogen called hydrinos, Mm. but there's hydrogen, then it's helium and then lithium, you know, then uh, beryllium, then boron, carbon, nitrogen, uh, and so on, oxygen, fluorine, and then you go into the next. And so what I wrote here on the side is, there's actually only one element that moves through its periodicity, through its life cycles. You could say that each element goes through its death, burial, and reincarnation. Mm. It starts over again after a still point. Mm. And so it's like a long-term cycle. You could say that even the Big Bang that we call of the universe is really just a gigantic inhalation of the universe that takes billions and billions of years in our time. But actually, uh, it will also eventually have a big contraction, which will be an exhalation process. Mm. So the universe is breathing in and breathing out. Mm. Wow. When you look at the, the world today, mm-hmm. you know, the last couple of years, we've been going through some interesting t- times. I'm curious, mm-hmm. from your perspective, did you provide some maybe understanding of like, what do you feel is happening on planet Earth right now? when you see the last few years that have been going on, even the times we're in, uh, from your sort of unified mathematics, geometry, you know, perspective. Like, what the, what the hell's going on, man? I think we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. I think what's happening is you have a, a global awakening. See, we don't really live in, the world that we think we live in is not actually the world we live in. Mm. We live in a matrix of mind. And the matrix of mind that we're living in, and matrix is just, you know, like a a mathematical structure. The whole thing is mathematically oriented. And you could say that the whole thing is just like um, a game that we're playing with ourselves. Mm. The one, the universal one, divided itself into two, and then eventually divided itself into the many, simply for the joy of being able to perceive itself through our unique perspectives. Mm -hmm. So our individuation, which is what Carl Jung calls, you know, the enlightenment process is to realize that we are perfect just as we are. And that the reason we exist is to give the universe, the universal one, you know, you could say, I don't believe that God's this guy that's like reaching out to Adam. I believe that, that God is the entire universe. The entire universe is God. The entire universe is divine. Mm. And how we perceive ourselves in this universe defines our experience with it. If you believe there are no miracles, you will experience no miracles. If you believe there are miracles, you will experience miracles, period. Mm. It's a function of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. What we get in this world is what we expect. It's a conscious, living, breathing universe that is defined based upon our expectations and belief systems, our Mm. cognitive biases. Mm. But each one of us provides information to this Akashic field of information where each one of us through our eyes can see the universe so that God, which is the universe itself, can experience itself through our perspective and our eyes. Mm. So what is happening right now? What's happening right now is that tons and tons of people on mass, the likes of which has not happened probably at least in the last 26,000 years are waking up to the truth. 
Mm. And because they're waking up to the truth, and that truth is that they've been lying to themselves. Mm -hmm. So this can create a lot of discombobulation in society. What we're starting to realize is the things that I'm attracting in this world because of what I just told you are the things I've been judging negatively in the world. Mm. We will attract everything we judge until we no longer judge everything we attract in our lives. Mm, that's good. Can you repeat that again? We attract everything we judge until we no longer judge everything we attract. So how do, before you continue, so how do we give up the judgment? Ah, Especially for things that seem like, what do you mean, Robert? Someone's you know, beating a child. Someone is you know, cheating on their, on their husband. Like, how do I not judge that? So how, how do we get over the judgment? See, you have to start asking yourself the question, why is that coming into your field of perception? So once you start going through this type of awakening process, because the early stage of awakening is just more extreme narcissism, more extreme narcissism. And, and that's why there's narcissism to such a high degree that we have right now. And not just narcissism, which I would call overt narcissism, but also covert narcissism. So covert narcissism is a hero or a martyr complex. Often it can exist and show up in the form of empaths mm. who are constantly complaining about how hard it is to be an empath because they have to see and feel all the injustices in the world. So then we come, we become social justice warriors. Mm. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So what we don't realize though, is that the more we judge something negatively, let's just go along with this thesis for a moment. Let's yeah. say that I'm a person who's very much against deforestation. In my world, I judge deforestation. I think it's the most pernicious sin on planet Earth. So therefore, I will dedicate my life to stopping deforestation. Mm -hmm. It's very, differentiate, very difficult for me to differentiate myself from a hammer looking for the nail of deforestation. And hammers will always find nails. Mm. So the more I judge it, the more it will show up in my field. The more it will appear over and over and over again. And this is what happens. The things we don't like about ourselves are the things that we cut off from ourselves. We, we perceive them as separate from us. And then we judge them as negative characteristics in other people. And we project those judgments onto the world around us. Mm. When actually, if you continue that line of thought, you might think, well, the only way to survive in this world mm -hmm. is to somehow escape earth. Right. So maybe it's a giant escape room. Mm. Right. Well, the problem is you can't ever escape from your mind and the universe around you is just the same thing as you, just a, a mirror reflection of what's inside of you. Mm. It's not separate from you. Everyone is the same. We're all connected. We're all just divisions of this number one. You could mm. say that the way the universe did it is that it separates itself into a conscious mind, which is what you call you and into an unconscious mind, which would be the world around you. Yeah. So you have an individual light signature, which is numerically derived. That is what we call DNA. DNA is basically a light signature of your source consciousness derived into your conscious mind representation. Mm. So you see yourself as a conscious mind, and the world around you is separate from you. And the beautiful thing is, is that there will never be another you. There never has been another you. There never will be another you. Even though, you know, our DNA is only 1% different from apes, you know, that 1% makes all the difference. It makes us infinitely different, actually. Mm. So when we think of it from that, from that perspective, you can now start thinking, okay, if I am a numerical representation of a number, which creates wavelengths of light, then the universe around me is everything that I am not. Mm. It's everything that I am not. You know what? There's actually a really good explanation of this that I'm going to read to mm. you, which basically was from a children's book that I came across very recently. And this children's book was outstanding. And I'm going to try to remember the name, but I took screenshots of the pages because I was like, whoa, this is so crazy cool. I can't even believe it because it explains so beautifully and so succinctly exactly what we're experiencing. Mm. So this is a little soul talking to a God figure, okay? It's from a children's book. 
What is darkness? The little soul asked. God replied, it is that which you are not. Hmm. Will I be afraid of the dark? Cried the little soul. Only if you choose to be, God answered. There is nothing really to be afraid of unless you decide that there is. You see, we're making it all up. We are pretending. Oh, said the little soul and felt better already. Then God explained that in order to experience anything at all, the exact opposite of that thing that we wanted to experience will appear in our lives. This is a great gift, God said, because without it, you could not know what anything is like. You could not know warm without cold, up without down, fast without slow. You could not know left without right, here without there, now without then. And so God concluded, when you are surrounded with darkness, do you shake your fist and raise your voice and curse the darkness? Rather, be a light unto the darkness and don't be mad about it. Then you will know who you really are and all others will know too. Let your light so shine that everyone will know how special you are. You mean it's okay to let others see how special I am? Mm. Asked the little soul. Of course, God chuckled. It's very okay. But remember, special does not mean better. Everybody is special, each in their own way. Yet many others have forgotten that. They will see that it is okay for them to be special only when you see that it's okay for you to be special. Mm. Wow, said the little soul, dancing and skipping and laughing and jumping with joy. I can be as special as I want to be. Yes, and you can start right now. Wow. Head this is some profound book. stuff because basically what you're talking about here, what we're talking about is how God separates himself into each of us for the experience of observing itself through our eyes. Mm -hmm. And the world around us is our own unique you inverse. So you have a number. I'm going to take one over that number, and that's going to be what's reflected back to you in the world around you. That is your repetition cycle of experience. It's preset. It's predetermined. But here's the beautiful thing. What we call destiny yes. is actually just the free will of your higher self. It's what you wanted to learn. Mm. What so we call thing, destiny is the free will of, of your, your higher self. So it's what we incarnated to learn. Yes. You got it. Mm. So now when you look at it in that sense, I don't know, I get a sense that you're pretty, you know, active person, yep. athletic probably and everything. Yep. You like to take challenges. Yep. Right. Now, if you were incarnated to learn something, would you mm. have chosen the easiest path? No, you would, you would choose some challenge. What kind of challenges would you choose? I think it depends what we're here to learn. You know, like if, if, if let's say I was here to learn about forgiveness, I would need some people to forgive. You know, if I was, if I was going to learn how to run a triathlon, I'm going to need some challenge of like running tens of miles, which might be a little painful to, 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 to build the stamina to be able to do that. So, okay, let's take the first example you just gave, which I think is excellent. Let's say you wanted to learn forgiveness in this lifetime mm -hmm. and that the universe chose your eyes to perceive the learning of forgiveness through. Mm -hmm. The experiences that you would have would come in the opposite form. So you need people then to do things to you that you would then have to learn how to forgive. Mm -hmm. In my case, one of the things I learned, you know, over several years that I came here to learn was unconditional love. Mm. So if I'm here to learn unconditional love, then what must I experience? Well, I must experience a lot of conditional love. Yeah. And what's the most extreme form of that conditionality of love, but betrayal. Mm. Mm. I must experience betrayal. Mm. Mm. If you knew that the challenge was by stretching the muscle and, and tearing it, the muscle of our spirituality, the muscle of our consciousness, it's the only way that it can expand. Mm -hmm. You would throw at yourself a whole litany of experiences that you would say, I know I can do this. I know I can do this because from that sense, you're undivided. You can see through time and you know exactly the amount that you can withstand. Mm. And you would push yourself as far as you possibly could in no matter what that thing is. And it's not for us to choose what everyone else chose. 
Everyone else has their own path. Yeah. It's an entirely different way of looking at the world. Beautiful. Because now in this context, you start asking yourself not the question of why did this happen to me, but rather, why did I choose this? Mm. Mm. It's a different question for sure. Mm. So two questions kind of combine. So, so, and you be, I think you're beginning to answer it like, so, so how do we, sh- how do we shift our destiny? You know, can, can all destinies be shifted or are just some people destined to experience that thing? Illness, cancer, disease, and, and it's part of the destiny to not heal it, to not overcome it. Or can, by shifting themselves, can they heal themselves no matter what? Or is this part of their life path to learn? Let's just start there. Yes. So I, I actually would choose the latter on that one, that we all choose everything that we're coming into. Mm. We choose every detail of it, like, me, like a menu, and it determines the time of our birth, the name that our parents choose for us. It determines everything. There's a number that you have. A number. And your experience will be one over that number. And whatever that number is as a prime number, because that's what you are, right? It will create a repetition cycle that will go infinitely until you realize how to break yourself out of that cycle of samsara. So a number seven, for example, has one over seven as its value is 0.142857. And those six digits will repeat infinitely. 0.142857, then it goes 142857, 142857, 142857 infinitely. And that becomes a sine-cosine relationship. But another way of looking at this is it could be your cycle of pattern of learning through time. And the larger your number, the larger that period cycle. It becomes so large, you might not even be able to recognize the pattern of it, right? You have to zoom very, very far out. So this cycle of repetition is something we finally come to the realization of. And the way we get there is through the extremes. We get there through periods of narcissism in our lives, We get there by recognizing that what we thought was real isn't acting normal anymore. There's all these different stages of awakening, right? And I love that meme that has Matthew McConaughey in it, where it's like, happy-go-lucky guy in the beginning. That's stage one. Stage two is nothing seems to be acting and working the way it did it before. (laughs) Stage three is, you know, oh, my God, we're all screwed. What is going on? Mm. Right. Stage four is get off my lawn. He's got a gun in his hand. Stage five and six basically is taking you, you know, eventually to a stage four, excuse me, stage three was they're going to, the Illuminati is going to, you know, screw screw you blind and they're going to take everything from you, right? You'll have no money left. Stage five is get off my lawn with a gun. And stage six is Matthew McConaughey grew all of his hair out and he's like walking on a beach somewhere. And it says, I've learned and realized that my greatest revenge is to fall in love with everything and everyone. Mm. and love it just as it is. Mm. See, we're not going to escape the world Mm. by judging the world continually. Mm. We'll only create the repetition cycle that will end up in us experiencing the same patterns over and over and over again. It's not Groundhog Day, it's Groundhog Life. Mm. And so what happens is one day we finally wake up and we say, wait, I keep seeing the same pattern over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You can blame everyone else. <clears throat> think about what this means. Let's think about all the times that you might have gotten screwed over by people. Yep. That did bad things to you. But actually, the way you're looking at it from this lifetime is you're saying, those people, they screwed me over, they screwed me over. But what if that was what you chose to experience? Mm. What if you're here to learn love and forgiveness? And that those people that screwed you over had a soul contract with you to provide that very important act of love to you. Because the first thing you said is, maybe I would choose forgiveness. I want to learn forgiveness. So then I would need people to forgive. You see how the entire reframing mm-hmm. of it can change our entire perception on life? So, so now... For those listening, I know they might have a question. So it's okay. You learn that. So does that mean you're stuck getting screwed over or can you shift the reflection now? You shift the reflection now. Here's how. Mm -hmm. 
So now by starting to accept that and you realize 90% of all rehabilitation is overcoming denial, uh-huh. right? So stop asking why it happened to you. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens to us. Everything happens for us. Mm-hmm. We just don't know the reasons. We're missing the meaning. Mm-hmm. Once we finally have that realization and say, oh, I came here to learn unconditional love. Therefore, I must bump up against the same problem over and over again. And then I'm asking myself umpteen times, why would somebody screw me over like this? Mm. Someone I cared about. Mm. And I'm asking myself the question, what, you know, what happened? What did I do? What, what was this? You know, I'm, I just can't even deal with it. And finally, one day I realized, wait, the way I learn unconditional love is by experiencing its opposite, the betrayal. And now I just need to learn to accept that. Mm. To give unconditional love is to love unconditionally. As soon as I start embodying that, be the change you want to see in the world, Mm -hmm. then I no longer have to experience that anymore. Mm. Once we've embodied and figured out the things that we're here to learn, you can integrate them in fully and you can realize through the integration of your shadow self, because that's what keeps basically coming back. The shadow is like putting it in your face saying, Hey, you got to basically deal with this. Mm. You know, the first half of my life, I worked in the medical aesthetics industry Mm. and my whole, I guess, message was realize your ideal. If you want to look better, you want to lose weight, lose weight. You want to basically lose 50 pounds or hundred pounds, get a lap band. You want to get rid of your wrinkles? I can get rid of your wrinkles. I got Botox. Mm-hmm. I launched Botox. Uh, uh, you know, if you want bigger lips, you can have bigger lips, right? Because they're thinning or whatever. You want better eyes? I can make those eyes better too. I did all kinds of work like this, launched lots of products like this. Hmm. Now the second half of my life is really a different message, but it's the same words. It sounds the same. It's no longer realize you were your ideal, as in what is your possessive ideal, but it's now realize you are already ideal. Mm, I like that. So realize your ideal becomes realize you're, are, you are ideal. Sounds the same, very different. Mm. Context is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of amazing because there's one of my books here. I had written down an equation in one of my books, or actually I left it on my desk and it was an equation that was the square root of 10 divided by 10 plus one to the power of one over 0.24. And that comes out to pi. The answer to that is pi. Mm. And so I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And I left it on my desk for a while and I didn't really think about it much. And then a few weeks later I came back to it and I found it again And I found it on its side. It wasn't the way I'd written it. The paper was like just oriented on my desk differently. And I saw something entirely different. And I'll show you what I mean. Mm. So if you look at right here, that was the equation. Square root of 10 divided by 10 plus 1 to the power of 1 over 0.24 equals pi. Mm. Then I saw it on my desk like this. Wow. (laughs) The exact same numbers just turned sideways has an entirely different meaning where it now looks like a face. Yes. Wow. Perspective versus information. Mm. So context gives us information, but perspective perspective brings us wisdom. Wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Realizing there's more than one way to see everything. Mm -hmm. And maybe what we considered was true was really just one facet of a larger prism of multifacets of truth. Mm. Maybe the only objective truth is the sum of all of those facets. Because mm. mm. this is the world we really live in. X and one over X. We are, div- we are all divisions of the one. It's a U inverse that you're living in. Yeah. What you're reflecting out around you is what's inside of you that mm. you need to learn. Mm. 
that you chose to learn. We chose. That's that's beautiful that we chose to learn. So let, let, let me take a practical example for those listening. Maybe someone listening, especially now, you know, so much talk on TV, media, the recession, financial markets, this, that, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of fear going around. And folks have been, you know, I know a lot of folks that are feeling the fear, Robert, of finances and scarcity and money and lack, and I don't have enough money. And so if someone's listening and they go, okay, this is great, but I can't pay my rent. I have a reality, Robert. I can't pay my freaking rent. And my bank account isn't reflecting a lot, but I kind of feel good about myself. But 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 they're in, let's say, let's take a practical example, financial challenge, scarcity, limitation in their mind and in their reality. For that person, how do how do they shift that when they're not feeling abundant and life doesn't seem to be reflecting it to them, no matter how much work they put into their business as an entrepreneur, things seem to not work out and they're, 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 they're in this scarcity lack paradigm. How, how do they flip the reflection? What do they do? Let's say we live in a matrix of mind. Yes. Right. And mm. everything in this matrix is teaching us the opposite of what we're experiencing. Mm. Because in order for us to know pleasure, we have to experience pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a, a funny analogy. A woman on LinkedIn sent me a message a couple weeks ago saying, I want you to know I put your picture on my vision board. Mm, your I'm picture. like, yeah, my picture on her vision <laughs> board. And I was like, okay. I'm like, but why? And she said, because I want to achieve, you represent a level of understanding that I'd like to achieve. Mm. So I said, okay, so then why make it separate from you? So vision boards can be powerful if we use them properly. The proper usage of a vision board is to look at the thing and be reminded that you already are and already have that thing. Mm. The moment that's the key. The moment you need money from a bank, uh-huh. how hard is it to get a bank loan? If you need it, you ain't going to get it. Yeah. If you don't need it, that's when you they're get throwing it. it at you. Yeah. Right. Ever noticed that? For sure. You can get credit when you don't need it, but you can't get credit when you do. It seems like a complete paradox, but this is life because mm-hmm. it's teaching us this. Don't envision the things that you want and then feel that they're separate from you. Mm-hmm. Embody that you already have those things and they will attract to you. Feel the gratitude, feel the love and the abundance. It's the feeling that matters. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. Um, in 2014, I had a company. I still am the major shareholder of this company. but And I was in Shanghai with my daughter on vacation. She was 18 years old. I wanted to take her around the world. So we went around the world. We did this great trip. And one morning I woke up with this anxiety. Like I felt like the world was going to eat me Hmm. and the world was a a brutal place. Right. So my company was growing very rapidly. We were almost at 200 million in sales at that time. And I was uh, burning a lot of cash because of the working capital expenditure that had to go into it. So that was starting to scare me because that's usually when a company and when a company grows too fast, you can lose control of it very, very quickly. Yep. So we were burning quite a lot of money, like about $10 million a month. Wow. That's right. Which was a huge amount of burn, right? Because we're also running clinical trials. And so I was feeling stressed over that. And one day I woke up and I said to myself, okay, I need to go buy a really expensive watch. Which sounds like completely opposite, right? Wow. Why would you go buy this expensive watch? So I woke my daughter up and I said, sweetheart, we're going to go today to the Bulgari store. There's a watch I've been wanting to buy. We're going to buy it. She goes, but you said everything's more expensive here. I said, yep, we're still going to buy the watch. (laughs) So we went to the store. I bought this watch. It was pricey, very pricey. And I bought it for myself for the following reason. Mm. I knew that every time I looked at my watch from that moment forward, 
I was actually going to remember celebrating and feeling the joy and happiness for overcoming the challenge of needing capital for my business. And in that embodiment, it was to take the company public or to do a venture capital raise. And I ended up doing both. But the thing is, is that every time I looked at my watch, which at that time, until I got my iPhone, you know, and looked at, use that as my watch now predominantly, uh-huh. um, I used to look at my wristwatch all the time. And every time I'd look at it, I would remember the feeling of having achieved the thing that I was afraid of not achieving. Mm-hmm. And that became a totem for me to trigger my mind into this feeling of abundance and having already achieved. It was an embodiment totem. That's the key, the feeling. It's the feeling. Mm -hmm. It's not the vision. It's Mm -hmm. the feeling of already having it. Mm. Mm. Got it. Beautiful. I love it. You mentioned something I'd I'd like you to clarify. We all have a number. Can you clarify what you mean by we all have a number? I mean, you said it a couple of times, and I'm like, wait a second. Let me let's clarify. Like, we all have a number, and how do we know what our number is? You, so I'll show you mine, um, which is kind of funny. I mean, mine is, uh, <clears throat> in fact, I'll put it in the BFN calculator here, which is the big fucking number calculator we created. <laughs> That's the largest number calculator there is. Wow. So let's see. Most calculators will only give you like 15 digits of accuracy. This one gives you 301,000 digits immediately. Bam. This is my number. 5.161969. Well, that's my birthday, May 16th, mm-hmm. 1969. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was born at 1803, mm-hmm. 6.03 p.m. in the evening. And then this is my full name in simple gematria. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. So you could turn your name into a number. Birth name, birth certificate name. Yep, your birth certificate name, so your full name. And then on top of that, you add the location of the birth. Mm. In my case, it was Wichita Falls, Texas. Mm -hmm. So this is my number. Wow. So if I take this number now, and I I can basically take this, and I can find out what my repetition cycle is going to be mm. life. Wow. So I can now take this digit out. I mean, this one decimal position. So now this is going to give me a number. It's really long. And this is going to be a repetitive cycle number. Mm. It's just going to be a really long repetition cycle. Mm. So this is my life experience over mm. and over mm. and over again. And the way you could think of it, so if I take this number right here and take it to the third power. For those listening, uh, Robert's doing some. Can you see it on the screen cal- here? Cal- I can see it for sure. Yeah. 137.54544. So that's my 3D life. Wow. And what does that mean for your 3D life? Like what, what is the, how, how is that? Uh, it's going to be manifested as a color of light, a bunch of colors of light that are going to be related to this same function right here. Mm. Mm. So this X and one over X. Wow. Right here. Wow. It's literally like the code of your life. So basically what this is doing is it's giving you a reflection spectra and a, an absorption spectral analysis. Mm. So this is, if you want to learn more about this stuff, you can go to my website. And then uh, you could just find on this one over X, you just do a search. Okay, yes. Okay, here we go. Wow. So this is hydrogen. Mm-hmm. So hydrogen has the, we, when we look out into outer space, we know where there are pockets of hydrogen in the universe mm. because it has these exact wavelengths of light. This is measured in nanometers, right? Really small meters, right? Nanometers, mm. so 10 to the negative 15th power. That would be the a nano scale or that would be femtometer. It'd be 10 to the ninth power, negative ninth power, excuse me. So you've got basically these colors of light And whenever we see this combination of colors in the cosmos right here, Mm. this red, this blue, this like violet blue, and then these purple colors, whenever we see that in the cosmos, we know that there's a pocket of hydrogen. Okay, that's how we do this. It's called spectral reflection or spectral absorption analysis. Mm -hmm. So hydrogen has this unique color, 
And to the world, right, its world, if hydrogen were sentient, it could see out in the world and it would see everything that it is not. Yes. So the world that it would experience around it is everything that is not those wavelengths. Mm. And that is its perception of separation. Mm. Now imagine that you are made up of hydrogen, a unique combination of hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, right, oxygen, and uh, sulfur that mm. make up all of you. And that unique combination is never replicated. That means that you have your own unique signature of light, and you also have your own unique U inverse signature of light, which is your universal experience. Wow. Your wow. universe is highly, highly customized to you. Wow. And so all it is, the difference between this and this is just X, a number, and one over that number. Mm -hmm. And then this is a repetition cycle infinitely. Wow. Until you learn the things you're here to learn, and then once you've learned those things, then you can become golden, which mm. means you, you no longer take on those characteristics. Mm. You can take on the characteristics of the golden ratio. Mm. So it's, it's, it's actually quite beautiful, right? We are all divisions of the number one, mm -hmm. X, which is U, and one over X, U inverse. Mm. The yeah. same can be said for us as human beings. We build up our persona ego. Incidentally, persona is the Latin word for mask. Right. Yep. But the subconscious can also be called the DNA of the personality. Mm. We live our lives searching incessantly outside ourselves for answers to life's most complex problems and so mm. often fail to look within ourselves by embracing and accepting our shadow conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind by recognizing its repetitive periodic one over X patterns throughout lifetimes. We can achieve much higher awareness of ourselves and our own higher purpose and life meaning. Mm. The conscious mind, the egoic, separated, and finite self, or reflected spectral lines, and one over X, the U-inverse, the subconscious mind, the collective mind, the infinite, self-absorption spectral lines, and one is the superconscious mind, the whole self. Mm. When you learn to multiply yourself because of your uniqueness, see, we all want to be different somehow. Mm. It's like, it's like we're born in this world and we didn't realize that we are exactly what we've been looking for. It's the acceptance that we have not had of that. Beautiful. Mm. We are exactly what we've been looking for. And once we can understand that the greatest value is not to change anything, mm. it's to embrace who you are. Stop trying to worry about fitting in with everybody else, but instead just embrace who you are and bring your unique perspective to the world. Mm. that's the most beautiful and highest fulfillment of your promise and reason for being. Mm. Mm. That, that's, that's like self-acceptance. It's a true self-loving self-acceptance at that highest level. Yes. You know, it's deep. Robert, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I know you need to run shortly, but uh, this has been a fascinating and amazing interview. I really, I love the way you break things down. And the sort of multi-dimensional layers and levels with which you see things and explain things. So um, incredibly insightful. Final question is, if you were to reflect on your entire life on this planet, if you were to think about everything you've been through, ups, downs, uh, being a father, CEO, author, business person, mm -hmm. and if you were to tune in and pick the three most important life lessons that you feel if you could only pass these lessons that you've learned to the next generation, that this would be the most valuable things you could share with the next generation, three things that would evolve the consciousness of the next, your, your children, your grandchildren, like, I want to give you these codes. What, what would the three codes be? Look at yourself with rose-colored glasses and realize that you are great just as you are. We all are. By doing that, you can start to realize that you are the change that you want to see in the world. It's through our own self-acceptance that the world transforms around us. This world can either be a heaven or a hell. The hell is all about missing the context. Yes. Because once we realize exactly why we came here, remember, context may give information, but wisdom is about perspective. 
Mm. It's being able to look at things and look at yourself with rose colored glasses and say, you know what? I'm perfect just as I am. And I don't need to keep searching for something else or trying to be someone that I'm not. Mm. Just be mm. who you are, embrace your uniqueness, fall in love with it. And once you fall in love with yourself and you fall in love with the world around you, then you're living in heaven. Because even when you experience things that are negative, not everything goes your way. You know, it's not because it happened to me, it's because I chose it. Mm. And then you simply ask yourself the question, why am I choosing it? Yes. It's no one else's fault. You know, I'll end on a Chinese proverb that I really like. The man who blames others has a long way to go on his journey. Mm -hmm. The man who blames himself is halfway there. And the man who blames no one has already arrived. Mm. Love it. Love it. Robert, where can people find you, connect with you, connect with your work? What's the best website? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Robert Edward Grant, um, on you know all the social platforms, uh, YouTube channel as well. Um, I have a television show called Code X on Gaia. I have uh, you know three books that are now listed on Amazon, and then I have three more books that you can find on my website, which is my artwork and drawings and everything, robertedwardgrant.com. Um, my, my three books are Philomath, which means lover of learning. Polymath means many learnings. And it's all about learning brain hemisphere synchronization. Mm. How do you balance the brain? Because to be a great athlete, balance is more important than, you know, strengthening only one set of muscles. If you yeah. worked out only your right half of your body, you wouldn't be a very good athlete. Mm. Mm. You could become hypertrophied and atrophied on the other side right? Hypertrophied on one side and atrophied on the other. So realizing that our brains are not a storage device of information. We are not hard drives. We're not computers. Mm. We, we are actually radio receivers of divine knowledge and information. And every experience that you have can be divine once you understand the context of who you are and what you've chosen. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for just reminding us of this these eternal truths that I think deep down we all intuit and feel and sense, but uh, sometimes we forget. Really appreciate you, Robert. Folks, check out uh, Robert Edward Grant's work. As you can tell, the man is a founder of wisdom and knowledge, uh, robertedwardgrant.com. We'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, check out his book, check out his work. Uh, send me an email, folks. I'd love to hear your key takeaways from today's amazing episode. Share this episode with everyone in your life that you feel would benefit. And until next week, love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.